Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome from Melbourne, uh, where myself and Tyrone Marshall are extremely jet-lagged, but we've we've managed to stay awake. It's uh, just gone six o'clock here on Thursday night, I think it is, and it's nine hours back home in the UK, so our, our body clocks are struggling to adjust, but hopefully we manage to um, cling on for a few more hours and don't succumb to sleep and uh, are ready and fit and raring to go for the Crystal Palace game tomorrow. Uh, the Melbourne victory game tomorrow. <laughs> there, 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 there we go. go. Yeah. There's, 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 no, there's no point cutting it. You, you've got to be authentic with this uh, time. That, that's, that's a reliable gauge of how, how kaput I am at the moment. But, but we are soldiering on. Um, I, I said the other day how meaningless that Liverpool game was given uh, lack of signings, uh, the, the, not so much the captain being absent, but the captain was absent. And then United obviously win 4-0 and we, we can't say that it's it's meaningless. There was a lot of context around that scoreline and that performance, but there were a lot of impressive aspects about United's approach, particularly in especially in the first half, mainly in the first half. Yeah, I, I think mainly in the first half, definitely. When, you know, that was what you expect. It was United's strongest team in the first half. And there were, you know, there, there were obvious signs of things Ten Hag has done in the last two weeks to the point where my my morning opinion piece was basically the tactical changes you could already see developing. And it was things, interesting things as well that we'd seen the night before when we got into open training and got, and got the full 90 minutes at open training. And you could see a lot of the things they were working on then. He was calling for underlapping runs from the fullbacks. And you saw Diogo Dallo and Luke Shaw both doing that, both coming in field quite a lot. Um, Dallo hit the post for one underlapping run. And, and you mentioned that was a move that actually started with Zaheya. Yeah. yeah. And that was something that we spoke to Victor Lindelof on Sunday at the team hotel as well. And he said that they've been working a lot on playing out from the back. And that was very noticeable as well. I'm not sure any of Zaheya's goal kicks went long. Um, both centre-halves in the first half. And the second one he was on just basically dropped next to him. And you had three in a line across the six-yard box. And, and I think he came out of his area, was it three or four he times? He did. Ago? And the most he did that last season in the game was twice. And I think that might have happened just, just in yeah. one game yeah. as well. So already he's he's adapting. You could see how his role was was changing. Because like I said, he, he took those short passes. He had to be proactive to come off his line. Um, he, he had to be better with the ball. And I think we've always said it's going to be a challenge for De Gea and something different for De Gea. Whether he can do it is the interesting thing. I guess he's obviously going to be number one this season. Um, but yeah, there, there were several interesting things like that. And just the intensity of the press, the way they all sort of pressed together. Um, I thought some of the passing triangles, certainly out wide as well, were, were really obvious. And that was something um, Ten Hag had said on, on the Monday night, talking to players about always, make, always making sure you have triangles on and triangles to pass. And you could see the midfielder sort of going wide to link with the winger and the fullback to try and create an overlap and, oh, and get I, players I'm just in. just getting images of, of Neil, uh, Neil Custer's house, Steve, colleague, hearing about underlaps and yeah, passing yeah, triangles. I think yeah. that would 
That would send not one for the tactical talk, is no, he? No, no, he isn't. He, he is a, a purist <laughs> in the uh, in the throwback sense. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, obviously, United scored three times in the first half. Uh, their attack, obviously, no Ronaldo. Uh, very fluid approach. Three players who've played probably their best football for United from the left hand side. But the way they went about it, I think Sancho, his goal came uh, where he popped up on the left. Marshall, who started as a centre-forward, switched to the left with, with Rashford at one point, mm. and he ends up scoring his goal uh, running in the right hand, down the right-hand channel. Uh, Rashford should have scored as well, but he, he fluffed his lines. There was that chance where Sancho laid it on the plate for him. The, the one I thought who probably was the best player on the night overall was, was Sancho. Mm. It just goes to show that if you identify a player as the player who should play on the right wing and you play him on the right wing, the it's, it's it's a pretty logical way of going about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it felt it felt like a night where obviously United have wanted Anthony. It feels like that's a deal that's pretty unlikely given Ajax's price tag. And it felt on Tuesday night, it felt like it was unnecessary as well, given the way Sancho played on the right. Um, he he looked full of confidence to me that the way he was taking on the um, Liverpool had a rookie left back out in the first half, Luke Chambers, I think it was, and. I mean, Sancho was tormenting him at times with stepovers and drag backs. There was one crossfield pass from Luke Shaw that he basically controlled on the volley by flicking his right heel behind his left leg. And it was, in a way, it was unnecessary showboating, but the shrieks from the crowd showed that they loved it. And it was just a sign of a player who clearly was confident and has, and has done some good work in the last two weeks. And it did show that he he can we know he can play on that that right wing. His, his last season at Dortmund, he kind of played equally right and left, and also as a number ten at times. So he's very versatile, but he certainly can play on the right. There is a a, a trend or a fascination these days with inverted wingers, but last season at Ajax, they played with Dusan Tadic, a left footed winger, on the left, whipping in crosses for Sebastian Haller. So Ten Hag isn't against it. Obviously, Anthony was a right footed left winger. But it shows that he's happy with wingers who, who play on the right and a right footed or play on the left and a left footed. And the reality is that United have got so many players that prefer that left sided position. It almost needs Sancho to go back to the right and, and to thrive there. And he did have a really good game and, and look full of confidence. And there's, like we said, there's so many players that can play off the left that there's there's options there. And, and they need to balance it out. They need to balance it out easily. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, Marcus Marcus Rashford's done the press today and the, the media events in. Um, in Melbourne, and I think he was probably the weak link of that that front three in the first half. Um, and the issue, I think, if they, it feels like they don't need Anthony now, but it does feel like they might need a centre half. Obviously, we, they're centre forward, so we don't know what's going to happen with Ronaldo. But there's, if they go into, the, if they lose Ronaldo, which it feels in the balance at the moment, given we're just not sure there's going to be a market for him. But it kind of showed that you, you don't want to rely on Martial and Rashford for 38 games. And then in the second half, you play an Ahmad through the middle, who's who's a five foot seven, and he's he's not going to get much joy as a striker in the Premier League. They might still be going out alone and probably needs to, given what happened last season. So it does feel like they might need to move that priority to to centre forward, depending on what happens with Ronaldo. I, I suppose, in fairness to <clears throat> Solskjaer, who obviously did. He started Sancho on the left there last season. He, he did have Mason Greenwood to select from, and, and Greenwood had properly established himself in the team. There's obvious, obvious everybody knows why Greenwood's been unavailable for the last six or seven months now. But 
having Sancho there, the way he did play, uh, the way combined with Diogo Dallo uh, was, was quite encouraging as well. Dallo is clearly better going forward than he is defending. He was far too porous when uh, Luis Diaz got a shot in and, and De Gea made a half-decent save. I think that was a, that was at nil-nil. Um, in terms of, I mean, the way that Ten Hag set out the team, it wasn't massively surprising. It, objectively, as bad as Marsh has been the last two years, he is a better footballer than Anthony Alanga. Yeah. Uh, there's no Ronaldo, so that that front three at the moment, pretty much, if you would, if they were playing Brighton tomorrow, which obviously they're not, still three weeks off. But if the squad doesn't change, it's probably that front three starting. Fernandez starts as the ten. McTominay uh, and Fred understandable as well given the um, paucity of options they have in midfield and okay maybe Maguire would come in for Lindelof because Maguire is still the captain Dallow is clearly preferred to Wan-Bissaka as well I mean we're not being pessimistic here when we say this but obviously it's been very protracted with the way United are going about deals this summer but can you see the majority of those starters against Liverpool lining up against Brighton in just over three weeks' time. Yeah, I think if the players are theoretically available at the moment, like you say, that nine of the 11 are probably in the strongest team. The, the only one that would come in is Maguire and then Ronaldo, with the, obviously the huge caveat that we don't know what's going to happen there at the moment. But beyond that, that, that is undoubtedly the strongest team for me. Obviously, you would you would hope De Jong would probably start against Brighton. I guess that that is presumably going to be done at some point in that deal. Um, that, you know, it, yeah, it is quite unbelievable how long that's gone on. And I think, I mean, we are we are losing track of, of time over here, especially given our, our travel escapades, which we might well come on to today. I don't think any of us quite really know what, what day it is and when things have happened. But we saw those photos of um, John Murta and Richard Arnold in, in Barcelona and thought things might accelerate, but don't seem to at the moment. But but yeah, I think De Jong would come in there. And then you look at Sandro Martinez. With Ten Hag nailing his colours to the mast in terms of Maguire as captain, it's hard to see how where Martinez gets a game as a starter at the moment. Well, it seems like he's another, like Tyrone last year, it's almost as if you are strengthening the squad. squad. Yeah. someone in to yeah. keep them, the senior centre-backs on their toes. But... Again, it is peculiar the way United are going about it. They, they, okay, they, they could have done with a strengthening at left back, but it was probably after goalkeeper the last position they needed mm. to buy a player for. Yet they still went for Malassia because Ten Hag really liked the look of him. Ten Hag said to us uh, in Bangkok <laughs> on, <laughs> on Monday, which is also accurate, I think. Yeah. The the he said midfield and attack were the priority positions, which mm. is what the club have consistently told us in recent months. Yet there's a scenario now where it's probably actually looking like that there's there's a chance that Martinez will be the second signing in rather mm. than Ericsson, which again is taking an inordinate amount yeah. of time. And okay, there's, there has to be a stringent medical there with Ericsson, but it was also 10 or 11 days since United said they were preparing contracts for him. Um do you think there's a danger that they're actually losing sight of their priorities or do you think it's just a consequence of the players they've gone for in midfield and attack? They've not got in over their head with them, but they've become 
protracted to an unlikely extent in, in United's eyes. Yeah, I think certainly with De Jong, that is the case. And I think with De Jong, if it wasn't for this Barcelona wages issue, I think that deal might well be done by now. That is obviously a significant sticking point and something that United will want to tread very carefully around. And, and, and not... United aren't obliged to pay Frankie Dion. No, not at all. Playing for Barcelona. Not at all. Not at all. You know, he is owed those wages by by Barcelona and it's entirely fair enough he wants them. And whether there becomes a time when Barcelona say to United, we need your help to get the deal over the line, that United don't want to set a precedent for that sort of thing. So you can understand them tiptoeing around that. And I guess the you know the, the other thing to consider is that they went for Malassia because he was on the verge of signing for Leon. They've gone for Martinez because Arsenal made a move for him. So they've kind of been forced into going for those players. So, I mean, having said, you know, I think we all thought at the start of the window it would be midfield and attack first. It's almost like they've been forced to readapt. Um, but th- those clearly are the priorities. I think the, you know, we, we talked about a minute ago, the attacking one is interesting now because it almost feels like the kind of attacker they need is different. They've talked about um, this, this kind of word of the summer. It feels like 2022's cultural reset, but multifunctional. Um, Which is a phrase they've even applied to the media. Club staff, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just because MUTV hadn't sent their commentators yeah. out here and a phrase that was used was that they wanted more multifunctional uh, media members out yeah. here, which is, uh, you know, pretty pretty unique. But as you say, it's maybe it's this, this, it's, this is the, Yeah, this is the phrase. They wanted multifunctional forwards as well. But I don't, I mean, I, I'm not saying Anthony play loads, but I don't think he's ever played as a centre-forward and certainly hasn't got the physique of a centre-forward. No, no, no. And, it, you know, it does feel like they need to keep their options open there um, due to the Ronaldo situation. And I mean, we we keep coming back to Ronaldo. I think we said when we flew out here, it was almost going to be a tour that was about someone that, that wasn't here. And I think every day that passes, the chances of him coming out here are getting less and less, but it is still the the significant elephant in the room. Ten Hag asked about it again today. And it does affect what United do in the market, I think, and their, their transfer business, because we know, you know they, they both told us this, they've got a sizable budget but they also talk of being sustainable. And if they're going to be sustainable, the reality is the coffers aren't as big this year because they didn't qualify for the Champions League. Yeah. So that they perhaps need to yeah. keep their their options open there. So you may be wondering if the attacking situation will will get dragged on just until they have clarity on, on what is happening with their current centre-forwards. And, and I don't think any of us who, who are on these podcasts have ever said, oh, they, they shouldn't sign any defenders whatsoever because yeah. clearly they... I mean, last season was their worst defensive season since I think it was the 78 79 season. Um, the, the, but when you can see that many goals, you do need to reinforce. I suppose the counterpoint that, again, something that we're making is that the profile of players that Ten Hag has gone for is, yeah. I mean, we, we, we're, we're skeptical of them at best. I think mm. it's fair to say, given that he's going to players that he's worked with or played. Uh, in, in Malassi's case, he's, he's familiar with, he's gone to the area de Vici, which is another risk. Looking, uh, I think I probably said it on the podcast the other day, but forgive me because of the way I am at the moment, my body clock. <laughs> but Manchester City, I think have only ever signed one player from the area de Vici during the Abu Dhabi yeah. reign um, since they were taken over in 2008. And that was Angelino, who of course was developed in their academy. And when he did come back to City, he was heavily culpable for two of their worst defeats that season in the against Liverpool and United in 2019, in w- which was the only season in the last uh, five five seasons, I think it is, mm. where they didn't win the league. So it is a big risk going to the Eredivisie. Um, 
But looking ahead, uh, going back to, we'll touch upon the midfield, I suppose. I mean, it's obviously still De Jongless, um, and, and probably will be by the end of the tour. That that whole five five signings target mm-hmm. is, is looking pretty steep now, and it certainly did at the start. But, I mean, I saw the word McFred trending, or, or it was <laughs> of interest to me. It's never of interest to me on Twitter, but it always comes up on that right-hand sidebar. And, of course... McTominay and Fred did start against Liverpool. Uh, Fred scored a lovely goal. Uh, I mean, the parallels with Ralph Rangnick's reign even extended to that. There was a press, there was a high line, there was a, a lot goal from Fred as well. Of those two, I think it's fair to say that at least one of them will be starting against Brighton. Yeah. That player should be Fred or should it be McTominay? I think it should be. I think it should be Fred. Yeah. Um, and it's... You know, I think it's interesting that Van, that um, the big Ten Hag seems to prefer midfielders who can do two roles in a way. And I think Fred and McTominay can both play further forward as well as further back. There's there's no one in that squad, and we've talked about it a lot, who is a natural defensive midfielder. A lot of them can play six and eight. And we might come on to this, but he spoke about Donny van der Beek today as a player who can also play six and eight, but is clearly better as an eight or a ten, he feels. Um so there's lots of options there to, to move it around. But I, I think Fred is the better player. And kind of in, in my head and imagining that midfield on paper, I do feel like Fred and De Jong could be a good partnership. Fred's tenacious, got great energy, gets around the pitch well. He can really press opponents. Um, and it's interesting, the, the Liverpool game, after the press, Liverpool press conference after the game, and Klopp talked about how United had man-marked their midfield and caused them real issues and, and won the ball back and that's kind of something you can see Fred doing really well. While De Jong is the the classier player, the the player Ten, that Ten Hag didn't entirely agree with that today. No, he did didn't. It? No, he didn't. He kind of said we we man marked them at times, but um, the the way Klopp was talking, it felt like Klopp was insinuating and done it all the time, and and Ten Hag seemed to think seemed to say we we'd only done it on occasions. Really, obviously, certain triggers, I guess, to go into that. Um, but you feel like Ten Hag's the uh, De Jong is the player who will come deep get the ball from the centre-halves and, and pass it. Um, and I think I think De Jong and Fred feels like it could be a good midfield too. And at, at Ajax, he, he had De Jong alongside Lassie Shona, who I've not seen loads of, but I don't think is a natural defensive midfielder either. No, Probably a, a, a similar-ish player to Fred in a way. Obviously, the, the difference is, and we're coming back to what you mentioned before, that's Ajax in the Eredivisie. This is United in the Premier League. The standard is a lot harder. There's no guarantee that kind of midfield will work. Um, and then I think if you've got those, you've got someone further forward who is, I think will be Fernandez at the start of the season. I think Ericsson could push him hard. And then in reality, the, the third choice is, is is Donny van der Beek. And we were, we were talking about this in the um, taxi when the journey finally ended today. And um, Ten Hag had said van der Beek's best position was, was in the box. And I think that's that's generally the view from people that saw him at Ajax that he he's good at getting into the box and playing that attacking role. But if they sign Ericsson, in reality, he's he's third choice. And when Tanar got the job, I think there was a lot of people that thought it would it would enhance Van der Beek's chances of getting game time. But to me, it almost feels like now he's it's gone quiet. Yeah, it's, it's almost not a lot of fanfare around Van der Beek. No, I don't think so. And I think he's probably gone from second choice behind Fernandez to third choice behind Fernandez with Ericsson signing. It feels like his situation's got got worse rather than better, really. Well, you look at that second half on uh, Tuesday and, of course, Ten Hag 
made 10 outfield changes. Van der Beek was the oldest of the front six by quite a long way. Mm. The, the two midfielders, Iqbal and Savage, are 19. The other forwards, Ahmad, Ilanga and Palestri are all 20. So it's not an ideal scenario to be thrown into. And Liverpool did become stronger as the game developed because Jurgen Klopp brought on better players mm. on the half hour and then on the hour mark as well. And Liverpool hogged the ball. They must have had about 60% possession at the very least in the yeah. second half. But if you are Van der Beek, who was a player that was courted and probably would have been signed by Real Madrid if there hadn't have been mm. the COVID-19 pandemic and you did what you did during that Champions League run to the semi-finals with Ajax... Just watching him the other night, he should be doing more. He should look a lot more dominant. But even just, I, I mean, I had to, just just for the purposes of the piece, just refresh myself with his condensed highlights by one of those YouTube accounts which clips individual mm. players. And the only thing I could remember him doing was trying to spring Ahmad through um, on a breakaway. Yeah. And even then, that looked over hit, that pass. And looking at the replay, it was over hit. Other than that, I don't think he did anything. He didn't do anything. And it's also, it's it's that Van Der Beek way of, he's so eager to impress, he's putting himself about, but there's no real, there's no real method to it. There's no real rhythm. He's, he's clearly you know, determined to succeed at United and be an integral part of their plans. But he's been in England for almost two years now. He made pretty much zero contribution to Everton staying up because he was injured for a lot of the time. Um, as you say, I mean, Fernandez is never going to be ousted by Van der Beek. I, I just don't no. see a, a scenario. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Ericsson, I suppose, is more, he's a flexible player. He's played on the wing for Tottenham. He can certainly play deep as well. And he's almost, there's a chance he'll occupy a similar role to, to Juan Mata in his last years at United, but a far more involved role because mm. Mata was barely used. And okay, that may give Van der Beek. Uh, some hope and if Dion comes in he's a player that he knows he can link up with but there's a chance that come the end of August or towards the end of August he may be in a worse situation as far as the selection hierarchy is concerned than last year mm. and okay a lot of midfielders have gone and there's hope there but when Ten Hag is saying you know he's better further forward which I think most people would have agreed with in the first instance it can't be beyond the realms of possibility. You cannot say for certainty at this stage that when that window closes, he'll be there because there's only one more squad get together um, for national teams before the World Cup. And of course, he's not made any one of Louis van Gaal's squads. Yeah, absolutely. It's been, I think, it's been over a year now since he, since he was last involved in a Holland squad, maybe longer. And he, in 18 months at United before he went to Everton, he started four Premier League games and two of them were meaningless at the end of the previous season. Leicester and Wolves. Leicester and Wolves, yeah, when Solskjaer, I think, made 11 changes in both games. Um, One, I think the Leicester game was two days before the rearranged Liverpool game. Yeah. And the Wolves game was, of course, three days before the Europa League Yeah, the final, final. yeah. Um, and Van der Beek played in those. I mean, he hasn't played a meaningful league game for United since playing 45 minutes against, against West, West Ham, Ham in that 3-1 win. They took, took him off at half-time and replaced him with Fernandes. And it does... Uh, try, try, try not to be negative here about the whole Eredivisie thing, but like we say, it, it is a concern given the history of, of Eredivisie players in, in the Premier League. But I'm sure... It's, it's actually gone worse than that David Blind 
was actually he was a decent player for yeah. United, d- despite what Ed Woodward um, said about him. Like, it was strange that Woodward cited him as an ununited player. Fair enough with Morgan Schneider, and there was the other player he, he dug out for that. Uh, Memphis Depay was was a disaster, mm. but actually, when you look at what he contributed to United, which was scan not not much at all, he, he did do more than that. He, than Van der Beek. He did. And those yeah. two players got transfers after 18 months. Yeah, and Van der Beek is a player who was excellent for Ten Hag's Ajax in 2018-19. In and I think it was quite good the following season because he stayed in a year longer than De Jong and De Ligt. But certainly in that 2018-19 team, he was superb in that run to the, the brink of the Champions League final. But then he's come to the Premier League and he's he's, he's just not cut it. I mean, we, there's, an, there's certainly an argument amongst some fans that he's not been given a fair chance. But I think... He's not been given a fair chance for a reason. And I think he's certainly been unlucky at times, but he went to Everton and, you know, we were saying before, I don't think he really pulled up any trees at Everton. He 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 was he was in the team and they were going through a really rough patch under Lampard. Then he got injured. They improved, dragged themselves out of it. He didn't feature in the, the game where they kept themselves up on the Thursday night against Palace, I think it was. Then obviously scored against Arsenal on the final day in a, a much changed team when they were already on the beach and on holiday and got beat 5-1. But I don't think that loan spell at Everton really proved anything when it came to his credentials to, to play for United. And the fact that he was so successful in that Ajax team and has struggled at United, and like you say, has, has got to be very close to failing at United now, given the competition. It, it is a little bit of a concern in, in terms of the players who, who might follow him this summer. But then everyone is... Everyone is different and there's, there's talk of, you know, Malassia is clearly an aggressive defender. Martinez is is good in one-on-ones. Um, so there's potential strength there for them. But I think, you know, Van der Beek is a very obvious warning sign in, in terms of that transfer strategy. At the risk of prolonging this Dutch down of podcast that we're uh, <laughs> going through at the moment, uh, I'd say that another issue I had with Van der Beek or have with Van der Beek was that he wanted to join Everton in August last year. Uh, and, and even just little things, and okay, I'm sounding maybe a little bit cantankerous here, but when Everton did stay up, their their celebrations were pathetically excessive. Uh, they, you know, they're a very big club. They should never have been in that situation. But it, you expecting there to be a trophy parade, and, and Van der Beek was very much at the heart of it in, in the dressing room afterwards. And I just think that this is a player who three years earlier was. Lucas Moore, a kick away from a Champions League final. A year after that, he was wanted by Real Madrid. He signed for Man United and there he is celebrating Everton staying up. Uh, I, I just wonder whether he's actually got the right mentality to, to hack it at mm. United. But we will see in the coming months, I suppose. Uh, as, as you corrected me earlier in saying that United do play Melbourne victory tomorrow. Uh, it's, it's a dilemma, these five things to look out for because... Again, these these matches, you just you know you take them in, you 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 enjoy them as we did on on Monday, uh, Tuesday. That was quite a madcap match, and mm. you know with plenty of goals and the woodwork being hit. This is um, you know, quite you know pretty low level compared to United playing Liverpool in Bangkok. It's it's a great stadium they'll be playing in the MCG. I think us cricket aficionados are very much looking forward to to experiencing that. Um, we've not been able to see much of Melbourne yet so far to only arrive today. And as I said, um, it's it's been a hell of a long journey and I think we're all feeling a little bit run down. But with this Melbourne victory game, it, it was noticeable during uh, Van Gaal's second pre-season that I think United played four games in the States and he played near enough the same, started, I should say, near enough the same side in all four 
and on the first day of the season against Tottenham, nine of the starters from the first friendly against Club America lined up against Spurs. And I think only one change was enforced because Phil Jones, for some reason he wanted Phil Jones and David Blind starting alongside each other, even though Chris Smalling at that time was pro- probably the best English centre-back uh, around in 2015. So Smalling came in for Jones, who was Kelsey Breeze injured. And um, uh, Sergio Romero started because obviously David De Gea wasn't being considered for selection um, amid his desire to join Real Madrid. I know it's easy to compare Ten Hag with Van Gaal, but is it in his interests? Is it beneficial that he tries to have that continuity, i.e. possibly playing a near-identical starting at least? I should say not playing, starting a near-identical side to the one that lined up against Liverpool on Tuesday? Or would you you know, start Van der Beek, start players, more players, if not, just go with a completely uh, completely changed side from the one the other night? I, I would do the latter and make a lot of changes. In fact, in the, in the panels we do to particular team, I think I have made 11 changes, um, purely with the idea that this is probably the easiest game they've, they've got on tour. Um, and then they've got two Premier League sides after that, which are going to be reasonable tests. And I think in pre-season, you always look to kind of build the minutes up. So it would make sense to not play those players that, that 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 what we think is going to be the starting 11 in this game or as as much in this game with a view to them getting an hour to 70 minutes maybe against Palace and Villa in in Melbourne and Perth and then building that up to even longer against um I think they'll probably play against Atletico Madrid the stronger team in in the week after the tour um so I, I would look to do that and use this game to give people like Van der Beek a chance um to to play to start some of those youngsters, start some of those players we didn't see the other night, like Garner if he's available, Garnacho, Ethan Laird. Um, so I think there's a few players there who who you could give a start to here. So I would take that approach, make some changes, bring on some big names in the second half. I think when you're on tour and we know there's going to be a big crowd at the MCG, I think that you know they always want to see some star names. You certainly give them 20 minutes, half an hour. But I think I would hold them back from starting to look to give them and at least an hour in both of those Palace and, and Villa games and really use them as the tune-ups. Because I just think they'll get, they'll get a better test against those two than, than Melbourne Victory, who are at the, I think, are at the start of their pre-season as well. Because I don't think the league has actually started here. Second in the A-League yeah, last season. I think they might have done. Yeah, they've signed Nanny this week, haven't they? Uh, yes. um, which is going to be interesting. But yeah, I think they're, I don't know what stage of their pre-season they're at, but this might even be their first friendly, I think, because the, the season certainly hasn't started yet. Um, so it, it, you wouldn't expect it to be too much of a test for United, certainly compared to what's coming up. Yeah. Uh, we, we're hoping to speak to Ten Hag away from the cameras on this leg of the tour. He, he spoke in front of the cameras, <clears throat> excuse me, again today. Uh, he, he was asked about Eric Bailly, who had a brilliant half against Liverpool the other night. He didn't put a foot wrong. He bailed out. Alex Tellers a number of times. I mean, Tellers, okay, he's not centre-back and he was played there, but he, he made lapses that he made left-back last season. I think it's safe to say that he's he's not got much chance of any game time at United next season. But Bay was very good and, and Ten Hag was asked about him today and whether it was a headache, uh, you know, having another centre-back to choose from. He said it wasn't. He came out with this line again about how it's an unusual season with the World Cup in the middle of it. You're going to need maybe a larger squad than normal. But the fact of the matter is, United are going to be signing centre-back. As you know, as avid a following, and I think avid is the word, 
um, that, that Bai has, particularly among the online fan base. He's in danger of becoming, or, I mean, he, I think he ended last season as the fifth choice centre back. He'll probably start this season as fifth choice centre back mm-hmm. um, if or when Lissandro Martinez comes in. Are you just brushing off this whole give him another chance, <laughs> or, or do you, would you would you advocate that? I th- I wouldn't be against advocating it, but I think the biggest problem is he doesn't. He, I don't think he'll want another chance at being fourth or or fifth choice, choice really. Um, you know, we, we said at the time that it was remarkable he got that new contract in March 2021, was it? And then in April 2021, he was given an interview threatening to leave if he didn't he play did the more day often. The, uh, the, day the, the Europa League final, final. yeah. And, and it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then something clearly went on last season because he ended. He he clearly fell out of favour big time with with Ralph Ranić, and I think there were clearly things going on, things going on behind the scenes there with regards to Bailly and his his view of Harry Maguire. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I just I don't see a scenario where he is happy to stay as fourth choice, and I think Lindelof is a more reliable, more solid player. Um, if you really want five centre halves, then you look at. Twan Zibi or, or Phil Jones, I think, is your your fifth choice option. I'm not sure you really need five centre halves. Um, and even with that, Jones, the club cheerfully told us was you know doing his own training programme to prepare yeah. for the new season. You just thought, well, has, did, did, doesn't he do that every summer? I mean, <laughs> he, he started two games in nearly two and a half years. Uh, he, he may still be unsellable. He, he I think it's safe to say he will not be at the club this time next year because they, if he is still at the club beyond January, he will just be released. Uh, Tunzibi has had a really, really dreadful year, mm. uh, year or 18 months, in fact. He's already left the tour for, for a personal issue. Um, there's, there's some confusion about that, but effectively he, he is not in Australia. So at the moment, I, I suppose it would be a risk to go into the season with just four centre-backs, when sometimes, I mean, maybe not Ten Hag as much, but there are coaches out there who do like to play three at the back. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes you think, well, I will need another a fifth centre-back in reserve. I suppose Luke Shaw could always fill that. Um, and Alex Tellis. If need be. <laughs> or, or Alex Tellis, yeah. I, I mean, I, I even asked Tyrod Lassie the other night because of some of the quotes um, that were given about his signing whether he actually could play it right back because I think mm. something Ten Hag said suggested, oh, you know, you might be able to yeah. use there. And Malassi was very, very adamant that he's only ever played at left back. So that that clears that up anyway. But may, maybe Bayer would have to be kept on as a consequence of what's going on with the other mm. defenders. But I think it's safe to say that it's in everyone's interest that United just bank a fee for him. And I think so. Yeah. And that, you're right, there is an argument of having a fifth centre-half. And I think, in a way, what happened to Liverpool two years ago was has probably kind of made yeah. every other Premier League team think we we need cover there. But find, finding a fifth centre half is is so difficult because teams don't really rotate at centre half. You don't make subs. Managers make attacking subs in games, don't they? Rather yeah. than defensive subs, a defensive sub is going to three at the back with five minutes to go. Whereas an attacking attacking players will often get half an hour or twenty minutes off the bench to change the game. So. In reality, your fifth centre half is going to play very, very little if everyone stays fit. Well, is, is Liverpool's fifth choice? Would that be Nat Phillips? I'm guessing it'd be Nat Phillips. Yeah, he's obviously on loan at Bournemouth yeah. last season, so that, that just goes to show that I mean, Bayern is an international with the Ivory Coast and yeah. you know, playing a couple of finals with United. You, you don't need, or you shouldn't need, someone 
that the senior mm -hmm. to be uh, occupying that role. And, and certainly Bai wouldn't want to occupy that role either. Um, I, I think it does rather typify Bai's time at United that he's the only player who has, has signed a contract and then he's changed agents. Normally, <laughs> normally a footballer will change agents and then sign a contract. It's almost as if by signed a contract and he was, and he told his agents, "No, get me a transfer." Yeah. They've done the opposite, so he then went to an agency. But you know, he, that that's part of the the Eric Bias show. You know, yeah, it, it, it is very very entertaining. Uh, I think we've done well, soldier on here for, for thirty five minutes. Yes, so absolutely. That there will be another one of these from Melbourne, uh, possibly with uh, with with a guest, one of our colleagues, I'm sure Simon Peter will be itching to do it after he accepted a selfie the other day. He's, he's big in Asia. He may be big in Australasia as well. We'll have to wait and see for that. Uh, so we might get him uh, on one. But uh, thank you for listening or, or watching. Uh, please do uh, like and subscribe uh, to the podcast. That's always, uh, we're always very grateful for that. And we will... See you next time. Take care.